Hey, welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Each episode, we're going to dive in and talk about a different horror classic or obscure rarity from the back of your video store shelf. Remember those? Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the 1981 or two, I forget already. 81. Cla- 81 classic The Fun House uh, by Universal Studios. Yeah, folks, uh, this is an interesting one. It, it's it's born out of the the rage that was uh, slasher films in the early '80s. We're talking right in the middle of those golden years between '78 and '84. This came out in '81, and it was basically Universal's response to Paramount having huge success with the Friday the 13th films. Uh, They said, hey, we want something that is horror. We want something with teens. Uh, Let's find it. And they came up with the Funhouse. Yeah. And, um, you know, right off the bat, just from what the title tells you, uh, just in and of itself, we're talking about a really perfect setting for for a horror film. Um, Carnivals, and of course we're going to get into this more in a bit, but carnivals by their very nature are, are... creepy uh they're fun they're exciting but there's also that sort of element of otherworldliness yeah very unsettling yeah transient Uh, are you a fair guy do you like going to the fair i do up here in the in the midwest we call them more fairs than carnivals yeah we we do and um i do like it because you kind of wonder like where do all these people go when the fair isn't happening like not just from the uh the carnies or, or carnival workers sorry (laughs) <laughs> Not just the carnies themselves. We can call but, them carnies. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the carnies, but but even just the patrons. And I, and trust me, I'm not trying to be holier than thou, but you, you do see a different segment of your community kind of come out en masse yes. uh, for, for these gatherings. So, yeah, it, it is, uh, it's definitely a great, a great uh, arena for people watching, and uh, it does feel like a different slice of life than our typical um, big box store, yeah. uh, you know, daily 9 to 5 existence. See, I, am not, I am not a fair guy for those <laughs> very reasons. <laughs> that is not something that appeals to me much at all. I get what's there. I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. You don't need, uh, like, a 20th neon pink yardstick? No. <laughs> no. Or you don't need to be... I have uh, plenty of two liters of generic soda that I won in a ring game. How would you like to learn about 16 different uh, three seasons uh, setups that you could have? <laughs> or, or maybe a hot tub? If you, I, Listen, you might be listening to this on, on the other side of the world, but apparently, at least in the minds of, of these vendors... You absolutely have to have a three seasons room and a hot tub in your home because they are relentless. Yeah, in uh, in trying to sell this to you. Part. Yeah, so there. Yeah, there's uh, there's all these sorts of of strange elements when you get uh, when you get to a carnival when you get to a fair, and this movie does a really great job of of putting you right in the middle of that. It's not like They've got one or two rides set up, and and they try to make the most of that. I mean, this is a full on carnival setup for real, and it and yeah. f- for anyone that's been there, it, it feels exactly like that. Like you're you're right there. Yeah, they hired an actual. They did this uh, during the carnival off season. That was something I learned. Carnivals have seasons. 
during the off season, they all go down to Miami. So they, because they, oh yeah. First, let's say something I totally had forgotten about when we picked this movie, directed by Toby Hooper, uh, of of uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame and uh, Poltergeist fame. Uh, but uh, he loved carnivals. Uh, he was given this script. Uh, he decided he. The, he had a choice of studios to go to and he went to universal and they gave him this script and he's like, I love carnivals. I want to do carnivals. I'm fascinated by carnivals. So they went, they asked him how much he did like chainsaw for. And he was like, well, 60,000, but it was over budget at 90. And they were like, how'd how'd you like to do a movie for like 500,000? Which I think that eventually the budget for this was like 2 million. They gave him, so they went and they hired one of these carnivals to just come and set up. So that's how, like, there are a couple really cool shots in this of these great overhead, like, crane shots that were pretty new. Like, no one had really done something like that before. Right. Um, where you do, it's a full carnival going on. And, you know, what's so funny about that and, and completely ironic is that they give them $5 million to play with. They hire an entire carnival setup, and yet they have the same actor playing about five different yeah, carnival three, barker three barkers. <laughs> uh, that was Kevin Conway, who the year before had just won a Tony. Like this, he's not a slouch. No, he's. He, he I did have to job. look at those guys and be like, "Is that the same guy?" There are two where you're like, "I'm yeah. pretty sure that's the same guy," but then the English guy, right? No, he does a great job. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a legitimately. That great was actor. one of his. Uh, like, if I do this, I get to play all the Barkers. And they're like, <laughs> right. okay, yeah. fine. And they killed it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you mentioned Toby Hooper, and that's that's really the element that stands out for me most in this film is it, it just goes to show the importance of a director. And I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent here real quick to, to sort of explain do this. It. But when I was in college, one of the, the several times that I was in college, um. I thought I had it all worked out in the beginning where I was going to pick a schedule where I had no classes before noon and that that was going to be ideal. I'm going to party all night. I don't have to go to class until noon. This is perfect. And then I started going to these classes. And, you know, as fate would have it, I just had some really genuinely boring professors. And it was just kind of just drudgery getting through it. And so I started learning who the better professors were as I got uh, into school more. And I realized that it was worth it, even if I had to get up and drag myself there at 8 o'clock in the morning, it was worth going to that class with a good professor because it just made the experience that much better. Right. And, and that's what we've got here is, and, and we can debate this a little bit, but we've got what I would consider a pretty run-of-the-mill film yeah. here um, just based on its, uh, its basic ingredients. But you add Toby Hooper to the mix... And then everything gets elevated, and suddenly you have a sense of style. You have a sense of pacing. You have a sense of scene setup. And really, without him, this movie probably isn't on anybody's radar, but he really does elevate things here. Yeah, he builds the suspense very well, because nothing happens for an hour in this movie. <laughs> and, and, and that's, folks, that's not a joke. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Like, like, no kills at all. No. And um, and you get you some get, cheap jumps, but that's it. Yeah, of, yeah. The weird setup in the beginning with the brother as the killer. Boy, that felt like it felt like they they felt like they had to do that, right? Then, I yes. mean, it felt like we've got to do the Halloween 
uh, segment where we put the mask over the camera lens, you hear the killer breathing. It, it almost felt like they had to check that off their to-do list, you know, in order to make this movie. It's 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 always effective. I yeah. mean, it's always interesting from a, from a viewer standpoint. But yeah, that's. There's a whole lot of nothing. And it was nothing. two birds with one stone because it's like, well, we can get our boobs in here as well. Oh, yeah. Breasts right off the bat. Yeah. and That's you know, two movies we've done already out of three where, like, first shot breasts. It started me thinking a little bit when I saw this one. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm never going to argue with a filmmaker that decides to, to show us the, the female form quickly and, and uh, explicitly. But it, it just sort of reminded me just how rampant the nudity was in these films in the 80s. I mean, we all know that anyway. Yeah. But I just, you know, now revisiting some of these, uh, didn't realize just how in your face it was. Yeah. And it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's because, uh, yeah, my my kid was sitting in the room with me when it started. And I'm like, it's the beginning. It's fine. And then I'm like, oh, God, turn, please. You're looking at your <laughs> right. phone, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they waste no time with the nudity, but they waste all kinds of time <laughs> before they get to actually killing anyone. But it's okay because you've got, again, you've got that Toby Hooper style. Um, it it goes back to something that, that Andy was uh, alluding to as far as that that crane shot. And uh, that's what I want to talk about a little bit is, is some of the style that goes into the storytelling. And Andy and I were talking before we started, and to me it, even though Hope Toby Hooper directed it, but it, it really feels like a Spielberg style of storytelling, which is prior to Spielberg's movies, E.T. And, and everything that came thereafter, you know, filmmaking was a little jarring. You know, they hadn't really smoothed out the editing process. Um, it, it felt kind of jumpy. It felt sort of grainy. And uh, Spielberg comes along, and he offers this new style where you do have these crane shots, you know, sort of easing the viewer down into the scene. You've got some music that captures the tone of the scene playing as we just sort of gently fade down into it. And it really was this sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of like a hand-holding way of storytelling uh, from the director to to the audience, but it's it's very effective and it makes things very watchable, and that's what this movie is. It's it is uh, while it might not offer you a ton of excitement right yeah. away, it's it's extremely watchable. I do feel I was more engaged before the insanity started happening because the last half hour is crazy. Yeah, uh, but everything before that. Like, the, the last half hour, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just you've got to kind of disassociate yourself and be like, how did that happen or whatever. But the first hour is all very believable. Like, everything that happens, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a great order of events. Yeah, you're right. There's there's that moment where um, the kids, uh, what we've got here is we've got two couples uh, going on a double date to the carnival. And when they're at the carnival, the one friend, uh, Richie, I believe his name is. Uh, yeah, decides that the guy who was wants to work in a bank. There's no way that guy's <laughs> not gunning for a Wall Street job someday. Yeah, yeah those tortoiseshell glasses, just man, he's yeah, he, yeah. Like this was a year where I'm like, is this guy a nerd or was this right? what you yeah. strove for? Yeah, because he kind of comes across as sort of like the party boy, but yet he also wants to do my taxes, <laughs> right? You know, like I, I, I couldn't. His I didn't know girlfriend was beautiful. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
So these these His name uh, is Liz. Uh, you Liz, know. yeah, Liz and Richie. Not, she's not just a girl. <laughs> and Liz is fills that that uh, space of sort of the more experienced friend. Um, you know, she's sexually active. Um, she smoked marijuana. She's a little bit more of a free spirit. Amy, our final girl, uh, does kind of fulfill the prerequisites of. Uh, virginal. Yeah. Um, she passes on the marijuana the first couple Wants times to, around. You know, she tells her dad she's going to the movies. She's like, can we just go to the movies? I told my dad that's what we were doing. And they're all like, shut up. Right. Yeah. So she's she's got good intentions and you can tell that, you know, typically she's a good girl. But by the time they're at the carnival, Richie comes up with this great idea. Hey, let's just spend the night here all night, which... I'm sorry. I'm not going to blame the guy for that because I've thought about that and wanted to do that a million oh, times. Really? No, maybe not necessarily at a carnival, but sure. like at a big box store. Like you kind of see some racks in an opening there, and you're like, man, I bet nobody would know. Yeah. You know, and and so he gets this great idea, and they, but but back to what you were saying as far as it feeling real. You see this moment where they do the sort of round-robin calls to the parents. You know, Amy says she's spending the night at Liz's house. Liz says she's spending the night at Amy's house. And it's all very relatable for anybody that's ever been, you know, 15, 16 years old before. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nice and down-to-earth in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then, <clears throat> then it gets crazy. Because this is a, like, there are, there are, yeah, no kills for the first hour at all. I mean, there are only four deaths in the whole five, right? Five deaths in the whole movie. Three of our protagonists, one ancillary character, and then the big bad. Like that's it, right? Oh, and, oh, and, and, and the Barker. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, but they all they all seem to have purpose. There's nothing like um, slasher killing about it. You know, right? They're not just sort of ramping up the body count. Yeah, they're just no victims. Right? Everyone dies as a consequence of something that happened before. I'm just realizing that now. It's blowing my mind. It's true because in so many slasher films of that era, it was almost as if the kills were driven by the makeup department as much as they were the 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 storyline. So it was like you had these extra kills that would be thrown in, um, kind of introductions of sort of throwaway characters, just so. So that we could see a fun and inventive kill, but this movie doesn't do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, some of the kills are. I feel they are, and this is where it kind of goes off the rails for me a little bit. Where you got to kind of just shut your brain off because when three people die, where you're like, yes, that's how they died. Three the the three kids. It's a very weird. There's the scene a rope just comes down and gets the guy by the neck and you're like who did that who who did that with the rope was it the the monster creature uh liz drops down this trap door which then closes itself but then she's shown like alone in a tunnel and you're like well wait did the trap door open by itself and close by it like who's controlling that trap door sure <laughs> um, no i'm gl- i'm glad so that- bits like that I'm glad you mentioned that because it's almost worth the price of admission, folks, for you to just see the moments before and after Richie's death. Okay, so Andy's talking about this rope sort of dropping down from nowhere. But prior to that happening, there is this unintentionally hysterical setup 
where Richie is telling a story that he thinks might be useful to them working their way out of this funhouse, which, you know, let's just catch ourselves up plot-wise here. The kids decide to stay the night in the funhouse, and then the uh, the sort of evilness that, uh, you know, is the the actual workers there and we'll explore some of that later too like is this entire carnival evil or do we just have a couple evil elements here but long story short they are very much locked into this fun house which to give you a visual image if you haven't seen the film it is uh it's the same mechanism that is where you get uh in a two-person cart and you're sort of pulled on a track through you know the metal doors that swing open and then you see the various animatronics so that's a lot of pneumatic Right, a lot of hydraulics and steam and all that stuff. So this is the building that they're in. But for for purposes of the story, or maybe I've just been in a lot of really crappy fun houses, but this one is way bigger than than your average fun house. It's very elaborate. Yeah. And um, so anyway, the kids are in there, and Richie is is telling a story, trying to, to think of some insight that can get them out of this locked fun house that they're trapped in now. And, uh, he tells a story about how he hid in a closet waiting for his brother because he wanted to scare him. And then he realized that his brother was just waiting on the other side to scare him. Yeah. And that he Which eventually... Which I loved that story. It, it was a nice story. I related to that. Like, that to me was like when like watching a horror movie by yourself. Like, even as adults, that can still be a little off-putting. Because then... Because, yeah, my brain starts going... Man, what if someone was waiting until this moment when I was scared to then attack me where I would be like, no, I'm just watching. It's just a movie. Nothing's going to happen to me. And they're like, that's exactly when I'm going to pounce. <laughs> yes. and so I really related to that story. No, it's it's an engaging moment. And the, the actor does a really nice job of setting it up. And you get you sort of feel some um, some genuine sympathy towards Richie yeah. at that part. I feel like that bit was his audition. It, yeah. And <laughs> he, that and was he about it. the only great part he did. But what's hysterical is he's telling the story where you do feel really engaged. But the last line is you know him talking about eventually being scared and locked in this closet for three hours, and then he says the line, "I pissed my pants," and then immediately you know we go right into that segment of the rope dropping and him being strung up and and hung you know hanged I should say by his neck. But it's just so unintentionally hilarious that that is the last sentence that he says, <laughs> right. "I pissed my pants." Bam! It goes right into the kill, and it's just—it's really a laugh out loud moment, unintentional, but 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 great. But you're right; we have to kind of ask ourselves: Was there an intention to kill him by somebody strategically dropping a noose that would perfectly catch his neck? Right. Or it almost feels like it's part of an automated mechanism. So I had to go back; I actually rewound that part uh-huh. to to watch it again. And what I got out of it was just that yes, they were. You know, you're kind of uh, suspending your disbelief here, but but that the uh, the antagonists are dropping the rope to hook him and pull him up and hang him now, because yeah. it was like a two part because everything starts going off. Like when he says that, everything comes to life in the funhouse where they're standing, and in during the commotion, that rope drops down. So I I feel like it's implied. Uh, so we haven't really talked about there's a monster in this movie he's a human but he's a deformed monster and I think it's implied that he's the one he would have the strength to pull him back up right but someone else is starting this stuff and it just seems 
very coordinated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, of suspension of disbelief in this movie where you just, you're better off to, like Andy said, just turn your brain off, go with it, and it's a lot more fun that way. And that's definitely kind yeah. of the, the first scene where we it, really... There are very few moments, though. Yeah. Less than no, other horror movies. True. True, true. Um, but what's great about Richie is he gets this sort of double kill. Now, we're, we're led to believe that he dies by hanging, or you would, you would assume that. But there's kind of an outside chance where maybe he didn't. But regardless, immediately after his death, uh, the, the remaining kids are startled by this slow-moving uh, cart that's coming down the track, and it has some sort of form in it. And you really can't make out what that form is, and you think, oh, it's that monster, yeah. you know, humanoid that Andy was referencing, or it's some other crazy carnival creep or something, or maybe it's some sort of dummy. You don't really know, but... Either way, they grabbed weapons. Yeah, either way, Buzz. Real weapons that are inside this traveling carnival. Yeah, (laughs) and Buzz, who is the uh, Amy's date, our final girl's date, is ready to go with an axe, and he wastes no time. As soon as that thing is within striking distance. Yeah, Liz is like, kill it! Yeah, (laughs) she does. And he brings that axe absolutely right down on the top and rear portion of the head, and it turns out, oh, damn it. It's Richie. Yeah, I hope he was dead. <laughs> yeah, if he wasn't dead before, he is definitely dead now. Yeah. So a really, really fun, one of my more favorite moments of the movie. Yeah, right and that's a great shot after that as, like, then Liz, like, there's just this shot where the camera's in front of that cart as it's moving through. He's yeah. dead, and Liz is, like, crying, chasing after it. Yeah. Really good shot. Like, yeah. That's where a good director, like, that shot wouldn't have been in it, Ed. Exactly. Shithead McGee director. Right. Movie. No, yeah, there's and that's where you get the sense of style and also, I mean, it, it might seem like sort of a minor detail, but as carnivals would have it, especially in the hands of, of an artist like Toby Hooper, the colors in this movie are gorgeous. Yeah. It um, looked really nice. Really, really excellent use of dramatic lighting. I mean, you're you're set up for it, just you're spoon fed uh beautiful visuals because we're in a carnival. And then in addition to that, you've got these these saturated lights and colors. And uh, so that that just adds to the whole, you know, scenic element of the movie. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the copy I was watching or if this was intentional or part of it. But I noticed a lot of times around like the tops and the borders would blur a little bit. So I don't know if that was because did you you saw that too? Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if that's just a product of the quality of what they were working with at the time or if that was an artistic choice i feel it was not an artistic choice but it looked cool yeah there was that moment where i i especially noticed it where there were some feet on the tracks of the uh, where the carts go through the fun house and everything is perfectly in focus for what you're what you're looking at and sort of the focal point of the action but down below at their feet at the bottom of the of the frame it's very much a sort of a blurred focus there yeah so i'm not yeah Intentional or not, it's cool. Yeah, look nice. Uh, okay, so we've made it this far, and we've only barely mentioned our our, our antagonist, I guess, yeah. in the movie. There are several. There are a couple antagonists, right. but the main, the horror draw, is the son that you're led to believe. He calls him his boy. Right. The main Barker, who's uh, outside the funhouse, <laughs> coming alive, alive, alive. You will beg for mercy. <laughs> I can't do his voice. But he sounds awesome. Yeah, like, he does. He's great. Yeah, it is very uh, foreboding. Yeah. 
I would that wouldn't give me pause. Just going in there, like, why is this creepy guy trying to get me? Like, like, this is enough. I'm just gonna watch him and freak out here. Like, I don't need to go in the funhouse. So the way the way we're introduced to the main guy. So there's a um, in the funhouse outside the funhouse. There is someone in like a Frankenstein costume because it was Universal Studios and they had the rights. Oh God! Nice catch. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, there's the Frankenstein poster in the kid's room, too. Right. Who, yeah, we, we'll definitely get to the kid, the the brother. But anyway, he's a horror aficionado, it seems, at his young age. Um, but anyway, so there's, so, yeah, Frankenstein, he's working outside, helping people into the carts or whatever. So uh, when the kids decide to stay in the funhouse overnight, they're in there making out another boob shot. But that was it. Only the two. They're only the two shots. Um they hear some commotion below them, so they're looking through the floorboards, and it's the dude in the Frankenstein outfit and the fortune teller. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is just me, folks. Maybe it's my personal kink, but I have always had a thing for these, like, traditional stereotypes of fortune tellers in movies. Maybe it's just because I have a, a bit of a Eastern European background, sure. and I, I had some family members that had those accents, but... I always loved that sort of alluring hypnotic quality of, you know, your stereotypical fortune teller. Yeah. And this Mysterious. actress. This I love actress the bohemian is, look. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. And she's older, but she's still kind of hot in her, in, her, yeah. in her own way, you know. And um, so, yes, we have our Frankenstein character, which, by the way, has, has not been clearly defined at all other than he is in the employ of the carnival. Yeah. He works there. Doesn't talk. We, we under, we're given to understand that he is uh, just this side of mute. You know, yeah. he's that we know that he there's some sort of simple. disability. Yeah. yeah, there's a disability happening there. But he is meeting with the fortune teller uh, for a, a sexual experience. So it, you don't necessarily get the impression that the fortune teller is always a prostitute, but maybe. Right. She's Yeah, she'll do it. Yeah. Because she makes him pay a sizable yeah, 100 for bucks $1981. $100? Yeah, that's a lot, lot of money. money. So um, he then we get a, you could get several phones for that. We get, right? Then we get a really unexpected shot of premature ejaculation, which we don't. Well, let me let me just throw this out there. You don't actually see it. No. Okay, but we get a, a scene of that, and so uh, essentially what this you know to get to the point here, what this uh, evolves into is this Frankenstein character. Uh, feels that he's been ripped off because he didn't really get to see things through to completion and he kills the fortune teller. Now this is all seen by the the four uh teenagers who are hiding out in the funhouse. And this is really the catalyst for all of the the action that comes for till the rest of the the end of the film because they've witnessed a murder. Maybe they would have gotten out. Yeah. Maybe if they would have just hid out, they might have survived, but now they've seen a murder. Yeah, and by some just unfortunate. Well, this accident. is all Richie's bullshit. Richie right. is gets them killed twice, essentially. Right. There's there's some Richie makes some some poor decisions, and there's some accidents that happen along the way. Long story short, the carnival barker and his Frankenstein masked son uh, are now aware that somebody has witnessed the murder, and yep. they know that they have no choice but to uh, get rid of these, these witnesses. So that's, that's the setup for the need for the murders, yeah. basically. 
in the rest of the film. But right before that, that's when we're introduced because he the Frankenstein brings the Barker back to the scene of the crime and he's like, "Dude, you killed like one of us. <laughs> I could have get you in a local lady to jerk you off like this <laughs> and now you've killed her." Uh and it's and there's this uh like obviously mental abuse that's probably been going on a long time where he's telling the guy to hit himself and Frankenstein's freaking out and hitting himself in the head and it's this obvious aggression that I'm sure has happened several several times and then he finally rips the mask off and uh, lo and behold way worse than Frankenstein it's uh, one of the more disturbing monster faces i i feel i've seen yeah it's it's tough to describe if you haven't seen it folks but it's almost a like a sort of grotesque almost goat sort of inspired face where you have a really wide distance between the eyes you have these sort of sharp uh discolored (sighs) fangs and this sort of flowy wispy white hair so it's really almost like a like an albino humanoid humanoid goat yeah monster well what what they were trying to so earlier in the movie when they're uh, just enjoying the carnival and they go into the little oddity tent and there's a cow with like a cleft palate which mm-hmm. looks really weird yeah uh and then they see a cow with two heads which is real that was yeah. not a special effect they went out and found a cow with two heads and brought him in and so they were trying to imply because the monster's face also kind of has this split so they wanted to leave this question of oh because they never say who the really who his parents are the guy implies he's his dad right you never know who his mom is so it's this implication of is he like part two-faced cow right well you know you're right and and it kind of brings up a, a broader topic uh about this movie so it, like Andy touched on we've got the Frankenstein connection because of universal but we also have the Frankenstein connection because, uh, you know, Frankenstein holds a really unique place in the, the canon of, of monsters, of classic monsters, because he was so sympathetic. And he was sympathetic as a character because it seemed like his existence was beyond his control. While he might have murderous tendencies, you know, is that really his fault? Right. Or is that a is, result of abuse right. that he's dealt with his entire life? Uh, right, yeah, or being kept out of society or just being different. So you have this character, and, I, and I'm not really sure if that this is something that this movie fully resolves or not. The idea of am I supposed to be sympathetic towards this creature? Am I supposed to see him as human but just different, or is he is he a monster? And I don't really think the movie tries to answer that, and, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you do get the impression that this creature uh, has a, a homicidal history, and as they travel from city to city, that uh, he, you know, as this Carnival Barker supposed father says, you know, gets into trouble. Yeah. So these murders have happened before. Yeah, they set it up very early. Yeah. Because when Amy's going out with this new guy who works at a fill-up station, the mom is very judgmental. And an alcoholic. Right. <laughs> She's got uh, six fingers of scotch as they're watching Bride of Frankenstein downstairs because they are going to milk that catalog as much as they can in this movie. Um, but, yeah, the dad's like, hey, don't go to that carnival. That's the same carnival that was in whatever town. And there were they found two dead girls right across the street. 
Yeah, so we get it. We get a backstory, uh, a, a simple and very early backstory that there's there's something uh, suspicious and there's something scandalous about this carnival. And uh, so that's set up very much in the beginning. And now we're sort of fleshing that storyline out where we realize that there's this humanoid type character slash monster that that has this history. But again, it goes back to is is that really within its control? Um, yeah, I think you sort of get the impression that it isn't uh, within uh, that creature's uh, or person's control. Right, yeah. Which brings I don't think up, he knows any better. Right. And it kind of brings up, and I, I don't want to make this too heady of a, of a point, but it sort of makes you think about carnivals in general. And it's something that we were even kind of you know joking about at the beginning of, of the cast here, is that is it okay to judge carnies? <laughs> Is it okay to judge carnival people? Because for as sensitive as, and, and, and rightfully so, it's, it's a nice uh, progression in humanity that we are actually caring for people who are different or have disabilities now. But, you know, carnies are, are still, it's pretty much open season on those folks. And I think it's because they're so transient. Yeah. You know, they, they move into your town for a little while. Yeah, they're moving away. You know, it sort of takes away the guilt factor. And... Let's let's face it. Um, a lot of those workers are very different types of people. Like yeah. they're they are personalities that are a little outside of the norm. Yeah, which makes well, sense. and they used to be. And this was kind of what. So like Toby Hooper was drawn to this because he's loved carnivals, and uh, in an interview he was like, "When I was young, I loved going." And he's like, "The rides were great, but what I loved the most was going around behind the tents." And seeing these people like outside of the job part and what are they really like, like behind the scenes and they're just, yeah, they're people you don't normally associate with. They're escaped convicts or, you know, uh, former convicts or or runaways, runaways or yeah, just the freaks of society. That we yeah have finally been like, maybe you're not freaks. Maybe it's just a, you know, genetically we're all different. Um but yeah, there, it was a it was a place they could go and 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 have a community of like people. You're right, and it, and it, it, the one thing that's interesting about the setup that that's created in this movie is we're never really given to understand completely whether or not the entire carnival is sort of evil by its very nature, or they're just different. Right. You know, so because you do have some characters walking around. Um, by the way, you do have your sort of obligatory morality tale here, like you have in a lot of uh, early 80s slashers, where, um, you know, there's a condemnation of premarital sex, of drug use, um, and these sorts of things. And you do have some characters going around and and sort of issuing these warnings to the teenagers, you know, God is watching, kind of similar to the Ralph character in uh, Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. where he's warning the kids about the death curse of, of Camp Blood. Um so, so yeah, you have this these other not necessarily homicidal characters, but definitely quirky, creepy, and sinister. Yeah. There are two. There are two characters where I'm like, I don't know. Do they work there? Do they live there? I know you know exactly because yeah. they are the dirtiest people. Right. There's one woman. She is like the doom voice that right. God is watching you. <laughs> Um, and she kind of seems to be omnipresent everywhere. Um, and then there's like 
a guy who looks like he just got hit by a car and left in a ditch. Like, he is head-to-toe dirty. He looks like he's bleeding. He's just kind of shuffling through. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I wondered to myself, is that— Because he's in the very end, too. Yeah. Just standing there. I don't know if it's—if if we're really—I mean— I have to believe that there's not this condemnation of carnivals because if Toby Hooper loves carnivals that much, you would think that he wouldn't be out to just sort of disgrace them, you know, by making this movie and saying that they're awful people. But it, it to me, it felt like that character, or those two characters, were just sort of mirroring the general creepiness of an average fair or carnival. Yeah. Um, so they, I don't think they were necessarily supposed to be inserted into any plot line uh more that they were or more than they were just um they added an element of uneasiness atmosphere yes. yeah they're 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 you know adding to the atmosphere of you know sort of a sinister because the guy has no lines no he's yeah. just there for people to bump into and go Ugh. right yeah and that's that's the setup and and i and it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning that that's kind of the feeling that a lot of us get when we go to these county fairs and carnivals that they're you know it's it's interesting, but it's a little unsettling, isn't it? Aren't you kind of happy when you get the hell out of there? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't go. Anymore. I mean, it's fun. It's fun when you're a kid. It's great when you're look look yeah, when, when you're, you're ignorant. You're it, running you know. around. You're looking at the other boys and girls, and you're you know kind of just goofing off with your friends, and 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 you're just there for your own experience. But when you start really observing the event itself. <laughs> That's where you know those lines get blurred a little bit, and you, and you, it, it does feel a little creepy because you're right. These are, I mean, we're not making this up, folks. I mean, a lot of these workers are people that um, have have run away from home, or maybe they're you know out running the law. I, these days, I see a lot of international carnival workers. In fact, for the past couple of years here, there have been, I think, largely German. Really? And I don't know what they're doing here, or why you would choose that life for yourself if you're going to bother to. To cross over an ocean, right? <laughs> to to run the tilt a world, but um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, it it all plays into this movie that is not filled with nearly as much blood and guts as as your average eighty slasher. No, so it's so as far as a recommendation, not really even goes, that much blood. At no, all. no, no, no. And um, so, I would probably recommend this movie to somebody that maybe doesn't watch a lot of horror, but they have an interest in it, or maybe they have an interest in slashers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of blood and guts make them uneasy. Yeah. Uh, it This would be a great one. I will say this movie's got some sound issues. There is a lot of, like, quiet quiets and then very loud louds. Like, I was really battling with, what are they saying? And then the music or someone screaming. That can be a little jarring, I think, if you're right <laughs> not used to it. No, you're right. I mean, the, the one thing you can say about this movie is that it does a good job of elevating itself from the sort of pedestrian level that it could have been at, but there's certainly another level of polish that could have happened. And let's let's bring up that brother character <laughs> okay. to, just real quick uh, to talk about that because it's it's so it stood out so clearly to me as being just a really strange choice, or maybe it's undeveloped. Yeah, that was like we need ten extra minutes in this movie. Right. How do, what do we do? So long story short, short, folks, without having to kind of recap all of that 
quote unquote action um, <laughs> leading up to this. But this this younger brother character, younger brother of Amy, our final girl, um, as Andy's mentioned, he's a, he's a horror aficionado. Joey, Joey, um, horror aficionado. Um, he he wants to go to the carnival. You get the impression that he loves carnivals. Um, his sister was going to take him, but he scares her, and she gets upset and says that she's not going to take him, but he's going to sneak out of the house and follow her there anyway because he knows that's where she's going. Yeah. So we get this long, developed subplot of the brother stalking uh, the, the double date that his sister is on, and as a but viewer... not even, though. He doesn't find them until they go into the funhouse. Oh, yeah, but he's yeah he's searching everywhere. So it's, we get to see him walking there. Some weird hillbilly pulls over and pulls a gun on him. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's just him at the carnival. Like, right. He pays for tickets. He okay. gets some food. Yeah. He goes on some rides. He wanders around. And and I'll tell you something, and, I, and this just came to me now... Um, and I don't know, again, if this is just too heady of, uh, of a point to even make, but is, is maybe Toby sort of That's, uh, uh, inserting himself? Right. Maybe Joey is, is a reflection of his um, wonderment of the carnival atmosphere and, and, and world. Yeah. And that it, maybe Joey sort of personifies his childhood interest in, in this environment. Yeah, that is what I thought, because it seems to be the only thing because they set up stuff where you're like oh here's where the brother becomes crucial like he sees them go in but not come out of the fun house right he tries to investigate it and is kind of attacked by the uh, two-faced monster and then he runs into the (laughs) the mud guy and finally passes out or i don't know but he's found and taken care of by someone who works there they call his parents they come and pick him up and they leave and you maybe yeah, and you wonder your, to yourself like, is this just Toby Hooper or the writer trying to say that not all carnies are bad? Maybe I don't know, but it's it's very much you know we're not reading into anything to believe that we thought that the brother was going to be a real integral part of the story, yeah. and he's set then up he to is, be the hero. He, he's just absolutely not. Yeah, he scares her. He's it's kind of this like you know bad setup for him, and then yeah, you're like oh he shows up. He has all. He's the one with the information, because even the the uh, Amy sees them from inside the funhouse and is trying to scream at them. Outside, it's making no noise. Inside, it's the loudest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Right. Uh, but no one hears her. The kid is comatose. Yeah, staring at the funhouse. Uh, the mom is like, I got, I gotta get home and have a drink. Right, another <laughs> fist of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they leave. Like, there's no indication he knows they're in there nothing yeah so is so maybe he is just that reflection um maybe the fact that it does end so abruptly is kind of like toby hooper saying you know i i was always interested in this this arena of you know or this environment but i never did get to to see what was on the other side of of that curtain you know that that he was always uh interested but was never involved directly with it I, I don't know but either way it was a little it was a little strange but it, it's not enough to take you out of the story because no. coincidentally pretty much at that same time is right where you're really launching into a lot more steady action so it's pretty forgivable at that point yeah do you um let me add, uh let me jump back real quick because i meant to ask this before uh the fortune teller mm-hmm. 
was her accent an act or not? Because there is one line which has no accent, but she, because when they originally go and see her and get their fortune read or whatever, and they're all high and are kind of laughing and she kicks them out and they knock over her table. There's this weird magic. The ball rolls forward and then it rolls back to her and she picks it up as just like, don't come back or I'll break all your fucking bones in your body. <laughs> and it's this weird, like, Brooklyn accent. But right. everything else is this Eastern European. And even when she's with Two-Face Monster, she c- continues that accent. So I'm, right. I'm like, did I just miss here? I think it's a great question. I think that um, I think that we're supposed to believe that the accent is real. Okay. Sometimes as as... If you you watch this for this in movies, you'll you'll see it. If someone is doing, even an accomplished actor is doing an accent in a movie, and they have a line that either requires a loud volume or a lot of anger, they tend to slip back into their their natural accent uh, because you know they're they're tapping into more a more primal mm-hmm. um, emotion. And so I don't know, but you're right. It, and not only was it the accent shift. But she went from zero to sixty on being a little like perturbed by these yeah. kids to saying, "I'm gonna fucking kill you." Yeah. Like, did is that what she said? Break every bone in your body? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it was really boy. She just got hot <laughs> yeah. fast. Do not um, knock her crystal ball over. Right, right. Which, yeah, in that scene, it seemed to move magically. Yeah, it did. <laughs> like, like <laughs> as if a weird it was moment repelled. that never happens. Yeah, and elsewhere within this universe. You keep waiting as a viewer. You do keep waiting for maybe there uh, being a, a supernatural element to this movie. But aside from that ball rolling weird, <laughs> yeah, there really isn't one. No. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of good questions about this movie. I mean, again, you know, Andy and I like to to read into these movies and, and see if there is another layer, um, you know, underneath there, there isn't always, and there also doesn't have to be, but it is a good movie to, to check out. If you do just want to sit back and have some, I don't want to say mindless entertainment, but you know, a really watchable, good looking movie, especially for the time period. Or if you do kind of want to pursue the idea of this, you know, what makes a killer, uh, guilty, uh, what makes somebody responsible for what they do, or if you just like carnivals and circuses, right? This uh, is or the right circus for you is circuses a word? Uh, yeah, okay, circus. Yeah, yeah, circi. It's just one circus. <laughs> if you want, uh, if you like that that sort of backdrop and, and that uh, you know the the scenic quality, the fantastical quality of of carnivals, um, you're going to love this movie. Yeah. What did what did you think of the performance of the kids? We didn't really talk about too much about mm-hmm. the acting chops of them. They each had their. We did talk about some very specific sure. moments. I think it's a little. Um, I, I I would say that it's a little uneven, but more good than bad. Yeah. Um, there are you know Amy uh, herself, our, our final girl, um, does show some real genuine peril. Uh, like we were talking about earlier uh, in that final scene. I personally didn't connect to her as much as I typically do with final girls in these uh, in these films. Um, I just, I don't know if that was the actress or she just wasn't given a lot to work with, you know, with the dialogue. Yeah. Buzz, who plays her. She did get a role in Amadeus as a result of this. She was in Amadeus. Oh, my God. Does she, she's not Mozart's wife. She also she? takes off her shirt in it. I don't remember. I know she was oh in it. Oh my god, that yeah. might, I knew she looked familiar. Yeah, um, but probably. Uh, 
but Buzz, who uh, plays her date, this guy is, um, you know, he's all right. Uh, you know, he makes some choices that I think are a little over the top. Um, you know, I think he's he's chewing the scenery a little bit in some spots, but I think he does a really great job of being genuinely freaked out when, when the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Almost to... He's not as douchey as I thought he would be. Right. The way the mom set him up, I'll never trust that mom again because she is a bad judge of character. Yes. He was is. a good guy. <laughs> right, yeah in, the, yeah. in the end, he was a good guy. But, I mean, some of, some of his reactions were a little bit unintentionally hilarious. Like, when he's screaming for the other girl after she's fallen through the trap door her name is liz (laughs) yeah slamming on it yeah he's slamming on it and he's like almost in falsetto range right you know and i've got a bit of a cold right now so i won't mimic it but i mean he is a little like 10 year old girl screaming for her yeah i mean it is amy's like who are you on the date with here right and yeah was he (laughs) you seem really bent out of shape right but um you know richie had no problem put an axe in richie's head but (laughs) right right yeah, and poor Richie, you know, that that actor um, has kind of a, it's a sort of a goofy part. It's kind of, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me, maybe we thought it was a, a bad boy part or party boy part. It's not very clearly defined, but at the end of the day, especially right before his death, like we were talking about, does show some nice chops there. Yeah, um, that one story. Yeah. Other than that, Richie can little, go to hell. Yeah, he's a little goofy. But yeah, he, like everything he does in this movie annoyed me yeah uh, nearly everything yeah he gets them busted twice because he they're about to escape the funhouse after they've witnessed the murder and he's like i'm gonna go double check and make sure she's dead to which none of them went why no let's leave they went good idea future dr richie right to where he steals all their money then yeah so now so that was yeah the that's what really set off barker dad was he noticed all the money was gone um. Then, as Richie's watching that, his lighter falls out of his pocket because he is a weed fiend. Yeah. He cannot, and that is something that really bugs me in movies: is people who just overly enjoy pot, like the like <laughs> that shit all the time. Yeah, right. I don't I don't have time for it. He's like you know always behind a tent, always like he's always having to catch up because he's trying to get high. Um. His lighter drops out. That's how they know they're up there. Like, his death, I thought that was appropriate. Hung and hit in the head with an axe. Right. Yeah, no, he's... That guy deserved all of that. He certainly caused a lot of, if not all, the trouble. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, as an actor, I mean, he's... Uh, he, he gets the job done, you know? And that's that's the thing that I love about... Yeah, maybe I was supposed to hate him more than anything. Could have been. Could have been. When it comes to these slashers, you know, the, one of my... Uh, the... the um, the sort of plights that I champion the most is that there are a lot of really good, genuinely good performances by by these young actors in a lot of these low-budget, early 80s slasher films that, that really gets overlooked because of the, you know, the, the blood, the guts, uh, the humor, uh, intentional or otherwise. And a lot of times we, we sort of gloss over some really genuinely great performances. Now, are any of those great performances in the funhouse? <laughs> Maybe not, right? Um, but nobody is is distractingly bad no. by by no means. Everybody is is filling their part, um, doing what they need to do. And I think there are a couple uh, of the bunch that that take it even a, a notch higher, you know, 
for example, the Barker, like mm-hmm. we're talking about, does an excellent job. So, no, um, there's there's nothing to take you out of this movie as a viewer. Um, it's a pleasant experience all the way through. There's some fun. And, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely recommendable. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I'd seen it. It had been a long time. Um, but it was one of those movies where, because the box art of it, it was one as a kid I had seen. I'm always like, oh, very intrigued by it. It's just kind of this jack-in-the-box clown with an axe in his hand, uh, which I feel doesn't represent. No. So then the first time I watched the movie and they showed Two-Face Monster, I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> right. Uh, and it takes this weird turn with him. Um, and, yeah, it's not like a, I was expecting a, yes, yeah, like magical funhouse where – all the animatronics are real and do the killing, but no, it's none of that. No, and um, that just brings to mind that, uh, just to touch on it real quick, really great and creepy opening sequence in this movie, the the title sequence, uh, just has these little, uh, you know, uh, vignettes of various animatronics and dolls and and mannequins in it, and it has some creepy carnival music, so it's a really nice And those are all old vintage pieces they had got like one of them is winston churchill oh was <laughs> like, that, that yeah <laughs> so awesome. it's like and toby hooper is like i ended up buying all of them oh like, yeah of i course. just own those all now <laughs> but he's like we totally lucked out on there's like the big fat lady on the top with this weird laugh like she's very it is everything is very unsettling just the way it looks and authentic yeah yes. i mean it's just and it, it i didn't know that it was all authentic but i mean it it really shows through as a viewer yeah um here's here's the thing you know as as sort of a final thought on this movie um there are going to be some of these films that i would personally encourage people to watch very seriously even if uh even if the tone is a little silly in some of these films th- there are a lot of of slashers that that i very much um very wholeheartedly believe are, are excellent films, uh, both uh, from a directing, writing, acting standpoint, um, cinematography. I mean, I, I really do think that there are some some high-quality films in, in this canon. There are other films that are really best enjoyed as entertainment, and that's how <laughs> I would recommend this one. Yeah. This is the one where if you've got some witty friends, you know, go out and get whatever you know, refreshments you, you enjoy, sit around with a group of your friends, watch this movie. There's nothing that's so intricate plot wise that you're going to miss anything. Right. So you can sit there and you can, you know, have some beers and relax a little bit. You You can talk over it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk over it, make some fun comments. It's, it's tailor made for that. So I would say as just a general fun filmmaking experience. Yeah. Just, just have a good time with this one. I agree. I, uh, I recommend it. It's uh, just a lot of fun. I couldn't get anyone in my house to watch it with me, so I watched it alone. It wasn't as fun, but maybe someday. Yeah. I'll watch it with you. <laughs> oh, thanks, Timmy. <laughs> okay. We should do that sometime. Yeah, maybe get together yeah, and hang maybe, out. Maybe we'll talk about it afterward. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So that was uh, 1981's The Fun House, directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, two thumbs up from us. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, follow us on the Instagram under Slumber Podcast Massacre. Also, if you have any questions, comments about any of the movies we've done or about our private lives, you can email us at slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tune in next time where we'll be uh, covering Return of the Living Dead. 
one of Timmy's favorites. Yeah, now that's one that I'm going to get real serious about, oh, folks. Man. Even though it's absolutely just batshit crazy and hysterical, like that one, that's uh, that's one of my favorites. So you're going to enjoy that one. Excellent. All right, well, I can't wait. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. See you later, Timmy. See you, Andrew. <laughs>